Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. I became a Christian in the 70s. <laughs> That's so far back. I mean, and uh, when I became a Christian in the 70s, I, uh, I loved... Um, I love the radicalness of Christianity. That was the big thing in the 70s. And so, uh, you know, I love this idea that you could fully engage and put Jesus first. And, and so I had a lot of passion and a lot of zeal. And so what I didn't really understand is I didn't know the process of God very well. I had a lot of zeal that pushed me out in front a lot, but sometimes... I didn't know how to cooperate with God in process. Um, you know, and so what we're doing in this series, we're talking about this way of, it's, we're talking about this process of God's transformation in our life and understanding how we live well on this earth. And I remember when I was a new Christian, I was just going to, the way I lived well was just keep putting on the gas. <laughs> more for Jesus, more for Jesus. And many times I found myself with lots of uh, you know, passion and zeal, but I had a lot happening inside of me I couldn't keep up with. You guys know what I'm talking about when you do that? And so, for me, you know, this place, for me, what we're doing in this series is like, how do we actually allow God, how do we participate with what he's doing in this process of transformation? How do we live in a world and have our load become lighter and lighter because we're turning to Jesus more and more? that we have more and more freedom, even though the world we see more and more clearly for the things that are hard in it at the same time. You know, I, uh, I, uh, I loved going to concerts. Uh, I, I, got, I got hooked on uh, this one guy. And back then, the music was a big deal in the 70s, and so this was one of my favorite albums. It was Only Visiting This Planet by Larry Norman. I know you guys laugh, but it was, it was, it was like life to my soul. And because Larry was so radical, he was obnoxious. He was actually kind of mean even, but he was just so passionate for Jesus, and he was so intense. And, uh, but I, the, the title gives it away. There's this place of we're on this earth, but this is not our home. We live for the work, you know, and so we're going to press through, and we're going to just live in this world that's not our home. And I just loved Larry Norman, right? And so then a little while later, some people said, hey, well, there's this concert, you know? And I'm like, I think, wow, these Christians have concerts, you know? And so then I go to this concert, and I kind of was expecting a, like a low-level version of Larry Norman. And I got, I got, this wasn't their name, but this was exactly how it felt, right? <laughs> and I realized these things were happening at the same time. And what was interesting about this, this group, the singing, what are they? The singing Ricky uh, family. So they were, they were talking about heaven too in this earth. And they were talking about that heaven is not our home. I mean, earth is not our home. Heaven's our home. But I remember my response to them because they were just singing about, I cannot wait till I get to heaven. I can't, every song, you know, the second song, I cannot wait till I get out of this hellish world into heaven. I cannot, and it was just like constantly, like I can't wait to get to heaven. I was just so angry. And so a couple things that, you know, as I went through that, I think it revealed in me, it really revealed this spot in which the, you know, what I had is I had this kind of a, this real judgmental, as you can probably tell, attitude towards them. 
and uh, mainly because of their hairstyle. But other than that, it wasn't just that. That revealed a lot to me, like what was, their, what was their, their attitude. But what was hard for me was they were talking about heaven too, but they were talking about it in this way that they wanted to escape to heaven, and that just made me mad. I just remember, I just remember being so mad at them because at the, all the time as I was thinking about it, I thought, oh my gosh, those people are just not radical. They need to get serious like Larry is and like I want to be. And I remember going through that, and I thought, they're just escaping. They're just thinking about escaping this world. And I just said, no way. And I just got more radical. A few years later, I remember (laughs) somehow on the radio or something, this Southern Gospel song comes on, pretty much saying, I can't wait till I get to heaven and get out of this earth. And I thought, that's what my soul says. (laughs) It's worse than I thought. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, I understand what these people were singing about, right? I mean, isn't that the tension? We say, okay, I really want to follow Jesus, and we start diving the world, and we go, oh, I really want to just escape to heaven. Just kill me, right? Right now, God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Can you kill me now so I can go to heaven, right? And so I I really realized in that spot is we both, those, both those views weren't helping me very much. Because quite honestly, I, I wanted to long, I did long for heaven. That motivation was there. It is not, this is not my home. But I really didn't help me know how to live in this home. In a way that I, my heart got softer and my love increased. I, it wasn't helping me in those places. And this is what we're really talking about in this whole series. Is that we're talking about how do you have life to the full in a world that is not as it should be, in a place that's not even your final home. But we can still have life the full in the real world. We don't have to get away from it. Now, my clicker's not working again. Uh, so the next one's our fam- famous graph. You can move it there. That's all right. That's all right. Here you go. Um, so as you know, this little famous graph, we go through the Passover, Good Friday, Easter, 40 days, the Ascension, and Pentecost. And we are getting to Pentecost. Hang in there. It is coming. And, but there's a process that takes place, and there's very much reasons for these places, and it's really helping us understand this process of being transformed, which it talks about in Corinthians, that we're actually transformed from one degree of glory to the other. How does that happen? And we're naming these things trouble. Caleb did great on talking about how trouble's coming. If you remember in the Passover, in the garden... I mean, we see trouble coming, the arrest of Jesus, and then we have Good Friday where Jesus dies. And we talked about last week of where Jesus started appearing after the resurrection, and there was new life that they grasped, but they were still in this process of grieving while having this new life that they both understand. There's a new life that started, but I'm also grieving the loss of what has come before, and then we're going to go into adjustment and letting go and a new spirit. Now, as we go through this, you know, we, we talk about this place of, uh, we're going to talk today about adjustment. And uh, as we talk about that, it's really helping us to understand this part of the process of once we get to a spot that we've named the death, the loss, but yet we receive the hope of what's, this new life that started and we're still in that middle ground, there's this place that there's a lot of adjustment to do. Have you ever thought about that, why it took 40 days before his ascension? 
a few more days before, his, before the Pentecost came, because God was making adjustments. Another word we could put in there is this is a period of grief. We put adjustments to make you feel it better about it. But a, grief is really what it is. But understanding what grief does, it's a place of what it causes you to adjust to what the new life is. So as we look at that, you know, we begin getting to a place of understanding this is what's taken place. One of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit works within us is in this process. This process, when it says glory, from one degree of glory to the other, is this process of new life always requires this place of letting go and receiving what the new thing God is doing. Letting go and receiving what the new thing is doing. That means you have to have, you have loss in your life. Right? And you have new things that take you to new places. And life, if you haven't noticed, changes quite a bit. Now, I want to have Bobby come up and just read the scripture uh, today. And it's a scripture that you're very familiar with, and it's Peter. And it's Peter, he's um, anywhere you like. You just take my place there for a while. And it's, it's Peter who is, is the incident where Jesus is appearing to him. Now, this is the third time he's, he, that, uh, the third appearance that he's seen Jesus in his resurrected body. And so as we go through this, what I want you to do is, as we think about adjustment, I want you to be, just to be thinking about what it would be like to be in his position and put yourself in Peter's position in this story. All right, go ahead. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When, when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. There, were, there was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew, who, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. A lot happened, <laughs> a lot of adjustment took place in that period of time. You know, as you think about Peter and his disciples just thinking about this place of grief, I, once I said earlier, I put it this way, I didn't I jump past this slide, is, is this loss <laughs> and change requires adjustment. If you, you always will have loss and change in your life, and you always have places that you need to be grieving in your life. This is just the way life is. And so as we go through these verses we just talked about, I want to point out a couple things that stands out, that stood out to me. You know, when we look at Jesus, think, when we think of Peter, we think about his, his state of mind at the point, time this was happening. Where was he at? You know, think about what he has just experienced, not, few, not very many days before this, that he experienced this place of watching his friend Judas betray Jesus in front of his very eyes. It's a bit traumatic. He watched the religious leaders who always never seemed to get a hand on Jesus, get a hand on Jesus. He watched probably people in the crowd chanting, crucify him. He watched the Romans, who he always had hoped they would be victorious over with this new king, mock and beat and spit on and humiliate and crucify Jesus. And they watched him die. You know, and as you think about that is that he had another level of grief, right? Because when this happened, before this happened, he assured Jesus with his whole heart, I will never, ever turn away from you. I'll go down with you. I will die with you. And yet, he denied Jesus not one, but three times. And he's, I'm guessing that scenario is running through his mind quite often. His zeal dropped down and his, became afraid and locked himself in the house and was afraid. 
And yet he's now seen Jesus has already appeared to him two times. So there's this shift that has happened. He understands there's something happening. This Jesus is still alive, but he can't quite grasp what this new life has, that he already has. He can't quite get a hold of it. And so he's caught in this place where he's processing. When we get to the spot of understanding that we have lost and we own that loss, we acknowledge that loss, and we acknowledge this new life that we have, this hope that God brings us in that, we're kind of caught in this place. And what I think Jesus was trying, Peter was trying to grasp about Jesus, he was two things at the same time. I'm trying to grasp that it will never be the same as it was. I'm trying to grasp that I'm waking up every morning and he's not physically there anymore. I'm trying to grasp that. I'm trying to understand that. And I'm also trying to understand at the very same time that he's here, <laughs> that he's present, that he's still alive. I know I can't experience my old life anymore the way it was. It's gone He's not physically present, but, you know, and I'm guessing he had verses that Jesus, he would just think about Jesus said, because he prepared them. He said lots ahead of time that he would go back to and saying, I need to leave you, <laughs> but it's going to be better for you. Okay, I'm going to hold on to that one. And he goes, I'm going to leave you, but I'll never leave or forsake you. Like, what does that mean? This is the kind of stuff he's, they're trying to process. Like, how does this work? And he was in the middle of that. And then you have, on top of that, this additional layer of regret and shame. Especially now that Jesus is alive, it's like, I bailed on him. I had all this hope for where this was going to go to. And I'm guessing maybe every time he heard his name, Peter, he thought about, Jesus named me this because I was to be the rock, and now I'm the denier. And so he's in the spot of dealing with lots of loss of what his dream was going to take place with Jesus. You know, the loss of who he thought he was was different than what he thought he was. There's regret. And then there's a spot where, you know, with Jesus is, and I've heard lots of people, and in fact I've been one of them, <laughs> that have pre presented this story like this. Peter was giving up and going back to his old career. And I think that's completely wrong. <laughs> In other words, he's given up, he's going back to fishing. Here's what I think is really happening. Here's the beauty of this story. Peter is in the middle of a lot of grief. And he's still hanging on to his friends. <laughs> and he goes back to something he knows. If you've been in grief, you're grasping for something you know. And he says, let's just go fishing. I don't know what to do. And what he says, it's like, I'm going with you because I don't really want to be alone. Because we're all in this thing together. Like, I don't, I don't know which way's up. This is pretty confusing. You know, even though we know Jesus is alive, I don't know what this means. And they're caught between the place of grief and hope. And so as you look at what takes place here, is they went out and they caught nothing. Now, now, you understand, the way I see this is Peter had a divine nudge to go fishing and God set him up. <laughs> so now Jesus 
has them set up with them out there. Looks like a very familiar scene that when they first met Jesus. Oh my goodness. And we see that he yells out to them, friend, have you caught any fish? I, I think he had a little smile on his face, but, but he did understand that they didn't catch fish, and he's, he's looking forward to being able to give them some fish. I mean, the kindness of Jesus to the people who are grieving is just so encouraging to watch how he does this. And as he does it, he tells them to throw their nets. But what's interesting uh, about this is that when they recognized it was Jesus, we start seeing this alignment to take place. Things that didn't make sense before started coming back. And one thing I love about this is I love that we see Peter show up again. This is the old Peter. I'm not going to wait for the boat to get in. I'm swimming because I can beat the boat, right? That's, there's life coming here. And he just knows that Jesus, he knows it's tied to how, they've, how he's experienced Jesus before. He knows that he's being seen by Jesus. And what's so wild about this is, this, this is one of my favorite parts of the scripture. Jesus had a fire going. Like, I, there's a mystery here. Like, did he have to come build it? Or did he just go, push? I don't know. But I kind of like the idea he came and got the fire going, you know, or whatever it is. But the bottom line is, the guy is helping these people who have been racked with grief, who are not believing in him, like he was hoping. I mean, they're just in grief, trying to process, and he's basically setting up a fire so they can have breakfast before they talk. Now, let's just take that in for a second. God is fully represented in Jesus. Jesus is equal with God. God, whatever we see in him, we see in the Father. Here's what God feels about you when you're not doing well. When you're caught in a process of letting go of the old and grabbing on new, he thinks, man, I bet they could use some fish because they, they're not going to get any, but we're, let's, let's go big. Let's go with 153 or whatever it is here. Yeah, let's, let's just do that. I mean, let's just set this thing up for them. And so they come in, and they have all this abundance of fish. And the reason they counted it, because it's like, we got this is crazy. How many are, I mean, that's, that's how excited they were for this, right? And they had breakfast with him. And then what we see is, after breakfast, we see him. It's the third time they've seen him, right? And after they finished breakfast, he personally addresses Simon Peter. And he speaks directly to him. What's happening here, he's now in the presence of God, and he feels the love of God. He feels the kindness of God. And he starts pressing in to what's going on down below. And he begins addressing so many issues in this conversation. As he's addressing, he's addressing this place of, do you love me? He's proclaiming what is true three times. You know I love you. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then he, you know I love you. 
And in that interaction, the questions of, does God still love me just like he did, is solved. And he knows it because Jesus has helped him get to that. The other questions that he has is like he has this question of what he's done. See, in grief, it's not like this one thing has happened and I need to grieve that one thing. It brings up all kinds of things about us. Do you know that I've been grief? It brings up regrets of why didn't I and what if I would have and all those things start coming up. And so when Jesus goes through this three times, we don't know, but it's, it's pretty, pretty clear that denial was three times, this is three times. Every time it dealt with this place of shame and how he responded. And he was, and in those moments, he not only knew he was loved, and he loved Jesus the same as he always had, he also knew that he was forgiven and in right standing with him. And then he closes by three times saying, feed my sheep. What's that about? I mean, Peter, you have to understand, what he lost was, I wanted to be a part of this deal. I, I thought I played this role, and I thought I could, I could do the things that Jesus was wanting me to do, and now that's all gone. And what Jesus is saying in, feed my sheep is, mission's back on, guy. Nothing's changed. Actually, a lot's changed, and you'll see soon. But mission's back on. And you're just where you should be. Right? He couldn't get to that without Jesus taking him through that. And then he goes on as he closes. And this is really interesting because when he closes, he tells him, <laughs> just in a nice closing time, oh, by the way, you understand now that this world has trouble, don't you? <laughs> you understand the power of the trouble and things in this thing. By the way, there'll be a time where you're going to experience some big trouble into your life, in fact, and he's talking about his, that you're going to be crucified. And he's preparing for that. So when Peter went back when, in his new life that was coming at Pentecost, what you start seeing is he's not afraid of trouble. I mean, he's not afraid of death. It's crazy. I mean, you look at Pentecost and think, is this the same guy that's hiding in the room? He started grasping his new life as he was also grieving the loss at the same time. So, in this thing of grief, grief, I just want to say, I don't know how many times we've said this, we're just going to keep saying it. Grief is normal. It is not just for those few funerals you go to. It is for all of your life. In a world that we live in that is unjust and that has sin, there is going to be things that are not right, and when those things are not right affect you, your own sin, of sins of others, all the things of this world, you lose something. It steals something from you. And how do you live with that? You learn how to grieve what you've lost with Jesus and allow him to transform you in this process. Now, you know, I, it's just a normal part of life. 
here's what I want to get across more than anything. What we see in this story is Jesus so longed to be with his grieving disciples. <laughs> he set this whole crazy thing up just so he could come in to the things that Peter was going on, it was going on in Peter at that time. So just think about that. He set that whole thing up because he longed to be in their grief. God longs to be with you, especially when you're not doing well. Now, now that may just sound like, yeah, 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 think about that. Do you know that? Do you know when you're doing your worst, God wants to be with you the most? Or do you think, I need to get going a little better so I can get back with God? It's a very different way of looking at life, those two different ways. But when you understand that when you're not doing well, God especially wants to be with you, you begin grasping this. You know, so grief, again, it's a part of life. It's the full range. It's grieving, losing your keys. <laughs> I'm serious. And being 30 minutes to, late to work. It is the loss of the day that you hope for. It is the loss of your health for the short term or the long term. Maybe it's a child that's moving away to college or a friendship that you no longer have or a job or a job you lose or a dream that you've had in your life that has not taken place. Or the dream that you had for your child that has gone a different direction. The loss of a marriage, the death of someone you know, just the transitions of life, there is loss. It's a part of life. And when there's loss, we have to understand that God loves to be with us in our struggle and our loss. I mean, just think about these verses that we know so well that we're to cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us that we you know in isaiah he says surely he's bore our griefs and he carries our sorrows you read that spot where you're just loaded down with something that says they say could i could i carry that for you well it's still going around but could i carry that for you and you're just killing yourself and you finally and they carry it and you're fine right he carries our griefs and our sorrows he comes alongside of us. And the Beatitudes is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Come to me, all you weary or labor, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I've kept, you know, I loved in Psalms. Psalms is just, you know, we just don't understand our culture. The grief is, grief is part of God. Look at Psalms. It's, it's lament moving to hope over and over again, in the rawest level. I love the psalmist. He says, I, you have kept count of my tossings. You guys have some tossings in bed, you know? You're just anxious and you're grieving. You know that you put my tears in the bottle. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
And he saves who are crushed in spirit. I mean, it's just everywhere. He loves to be near you. He loves to come in to the things that you push him away from. It's not like, oh, Stark's messed up again. I got to get in there with him. It's like, oh, yes, this is my opportunity. Now, a few things about grief, I would just say, is grief, you might think of it as being an unsafe place, but grief with Jesus is the safest place you have. This is the thing that, you know, you, you, have you ever seen a kid who's lost, right? Not doing well at all. They've lost their mom. They've lost their dad. And you look at that face, and I've done this many times because I've, I've and I always want to help the kid, and I freak him out like, you're scaring me even more. You're a big, ugly man, stranger danger. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to help. I just the other day I was in, in, in uh, Snooks, and this kid was lost, and I, I just, just, She's just shaking this little kid, and she couldn't find And I said, do you, and she, ah, she started running away. She ran away from me like, ah. She was like, wasn't crying at all. And as soon as she found her mom, whoosh, all her pain came out. Why? Because her mom was safe. You need to know Jesus wants to be with you in this. You know it's safe. It's so safe. I used to never know why I cried so much during certain times at these conferences and stuff. <laughs> and I, had a, I would just say, Holy Spirit came, these things happened. If I really think about what's happened through the lens of this series, is I was safe. And all those enemies came out at one time, and God met me in it. There's this empathy. You know what, what Peter felt like? Jesus is empathizing with me. <laughs> he's, he's not mad he's not cruel he's kind and he's he's empathizing with me he's, he has empathy he has comfort and not only that is when we experience that guess what it changes us it produces in us empathy and the ability to comfort others you know he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief he's a high priest who empathizes in our weakness you know, it talks about the place that he's a God of mercy and comfort. So in all our afflictions, we may be able then to comfort any others who have afflictions with the comfort that we've received. I mean, it's Psalms 23. When you walk through this, the valley of the shadow of death, you're able to fear no evil. Because why? Because you're not afraid. Because it's safe. Because he's with you. And then the thing about this whole thing of grieving, this transformation happens when we just allow God into loss. This transformation starts taking place. Corinthians puts it this way, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas the world's grief produces death. Now that's so, that's so good that Godly grief, you know, we have a negative view of repentance. What that means is godly grief allows you to turn and release what was old and turn to what is new, right? It's turning to the things that God has for you and away from the things that no longer are for you. It has this power. We see all the way through Psalms, and we see it, 
in John 2. It says, Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will not rejoice. He's preparing them for this time. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. If you want to get to joy, strangely enough, you get to it through lament. That's where you find it. And it's the most beautiful place of having God with you as you're getting raw and honest with what you need. The other thing I'd say is this, is that I understand this about grieving. It's messy, and it's not a straight line. Right? <laughs> it just, and that's why you need to trust that Jesus wants to be in it with you, and he knows what he's doing. You don't have to know the future in grieving. You just not to know the character of Jesus and have him with you. But it's not a straight line. And I'd also I'd finalize by saying this. Understand that grieving always takes time. You know? God is gracious. Those 40 days were a gift from God because they, he knew what all needed to be thought through and processed and turned from and turned to and released. And all those things, all the complexity, he gave time for that to take place. When you think about that, that's like, uh, okay, from now to July 1st, you're going to just be hanging out there trying to figure this thing out. I mean, it's just like, what? But in that process, and we always want to rush it. We always say, I, I got done. I think I'm done now. No, no, just stay in it, and God will tell you when you're done. All right? So, you know, in Isaiah, there's often there's a waiting. Those who wait upon the Lord, they'll renew their strength and they'll mount up like wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. We always talk about the running, not be weary. Forget about the waiting part. The, the waiting part is this process that you're prepared for living out the life that God's called you to. And that takes time. And in that time, though, it is a time in which you actually come to know Jesus and transformation is happening. Not later, but in the very time that you're waiting. So, the worst team can come up. I'll, I'll just close with this invitation. And not, not that order. <laughs> God longs to be with you, especially when we're not doing well. Just take that in. You say, well, I don't really want to come to church because I'm not doing well. Perfect. This is when God wants to be with you. Welcome Jesus into where you really are, into your loss and your hope, trusting in him, and what he's promised. And allow others who love you to come into where you're really, where you really are.